celebrating success, learning from legends, and growing poppies. This is Tall Poppy Talk with Grace Lewis. Kia ora and welcome, Kyle, to Tall Poppy Talk. Kyle specializes in training and development with a large focus on the sports space, having spent 20 plus years coaching, working with individuals, teams, and large organizations, including Bay of Plenty Rugby, where he's also in the role of head coach of the 2023 Volcanics team competing in the Bunnings Farrah Palmer Cup. Kyle's also a business owner and founder of The Coaching Gig where he's a leader in training and development, working not just with the sports organizations, but workplaces and businesses. He hosts his own podcast, where he talks to people from the sporting world to understand how coaches can foster awesome sporting experiences for all. Now, with having a background in teaching and coach education, 20 plus years of industry experience and a master's of sport, health and human performance, it is an absolute pleasure, Carl, to welcome you to Tall Poppy Talk where and how are you today <laughs> that's very good thing grace you've done well on your homework i was like well, i've been quite busy <laughs> um yeah i've uh i'm currently in my home on my kitchen table i've uh, migrated from the caravan office to the kitchen for this special event <laughs> and i'm doing pretty well thanks i've just come from a, a coach selection meeting over over coffee this morning with our other coaches and our um the volcanics team to start working out how we can give some uh, girls some support around where they need to head and, and be transparent with uh, where they're sitting at the moment and all that stuff and yeah a bit of a learning curve but um good thanks brilliant i can imagine a like as i said i say everything back to you and it forces you to be like oh i am busy and even what you're talking about this morning with coach selection and player selection that's like a that's a new skill it seems that you're developing but I want to strip it back for a second or take it back for a second. Um, the coaching gig, that is a big sort of pillar in your identity, at least from what I was seeing online. And a quote you have is, with everything I do, I am to help our people thrive on and off the field. And you're talking about using sport to provide this holistic, uh, like a, it's a holistic vehicle for people. Can you tell me about the mission and drive behind the coaching gig? Yeah, no worries. So I, when I was working at uh, Bay of Plenty Rugby, um, finished there in 2020, but sort of as as I was sort of doing this stuff in the coach development space, I just felt that I guess a lot of the ways we're trying to support coaches are pretty formal, like level one, two, three and stuff like that. And I just was starting to see that coaches I felt were getting a little bit forgotten about and uh, left to their own a bit but also I think some of the stuff that coaches were wanting support in especially the ones just having uh, more intimate relationships with like rep coaches and, and, and aspirational coaches were actually grappling with things that were not coaching related or not not sport related so normally normally a, a coach development will look like helping the coaches get better at coaching their sport or um, or get, get getting better at planning and organizing all this sort of X's and O's of the sport. But what I was finding is that the coaches actually wanted stuff like they were grappling with um, like balance, like life balance, right? So um, having courageous conversations, um, finding purpose, um, enhancing relationships, especially at, at home. Like the nature of coaching is you're very, very selfless and you give a lot of yourself to others, sometimes at the expense of your family. Um, sometimes expensive your own well-being so I sort of started identifying that and I was probably you know going through this or was going through the same challenges myself right so I'm trying to be a good husband good father and 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 with the passion of coaching and with and, and coaches um so I started going on that journey and started unpacking how we could support him a bit more holistically um so it wasn't just sport it wasn't just building good team environments, but it was also around working on yourself um, and, and just, just just putting support around them. So that's why the start of the journey, started the journey with uh, the concept was thriving Kiwi coaches when I started it. I just knew what I wanted to help and I wanted to serve people and, and support people. So I honed in on coaches, which is the passion, and I felt there was a gap. Started, started on that journey, thriving Kiwi coaches. I started a Facebook page and started posting um, um, blogs and things and most of the start started with most of the blogs around personal leadership stuff um and then 
transferred transferred to the, the branding to the coaching gig, which I was getting to a point where I want it to be a little bit more, uh, probably a little bit more international and a little bit more, bring a bit more spunk and flair to it. <laughs> so I thought that was quite cool. I was, because actually another little side hustle, I'm a musician. So my my brother and I do a lot of gigs and uh, do wedding gigs. And one particular gig, we we, we drove down to Tūrangi down in, uh, near Taupo and um, it was the same day as there was a tsunami alert in, the, in my hometown and my my wife was down the road freaking out and I was like, don't worry, I'm going to be sweet down in Taupo. <laughs> no, no, I'm worried about my own kids. Oh, yeah. Anyway, we're down there and, and, and the name just came to us one day, I think, uh, just in Tūrangi. I thought, yep, that's it. That's that's the coaching. But yeah, the essence is, yeah, it's holistic and I've probably um, gone on little tangents and honed, honed it more recently around um, bringing a lot more coach specific stuff um, and trying to help coaches out there survive and thrive really. Thank you. And I know like you touched upon it with that holistic element. I think sometimes that's like, I'm coming from the athlete point of view often where I'm like, Oh, we can't just be fully focused on the performance and the data. We need to think, yeah, like holistically, but you're bringing such an important approach and perspective of like well the coaches need that too so often we're looking at like the athletes experience or if it's in a workplace like the employees and yeah I sent this over to you but when you say holistic approach what exactly does that mean yeah I guess probably like three three sort of pillars around that one would be so when we when we as a coach uh, one of them is um, I guess sport you know, you need to know your sport. So we need to support coaches and understand their sport, um, what their sport looks like, how they actually coach the sport. You need to be students of your game. Um, the other bit is around, I guess, leadership. So you, when you're in a coaching space, you're actually in a leadership role and you're trying to create, and I work mostly in team sports, mostly in rugby. And the coaches, and I'm experiencing it right now, I'm still the head coach and I've got a staff of 10 people and we're getting about 40-odd players. So you're going to have... Um, you could be able to lead well and set, set um, you know, really engaging environments, environments where there's fun and joy and all that stuff, um, you know, and people know, know their roles and where we're heading. That, so that's most of my time has been stepped up with that kind of stuff. And so there's, there's to those two, two key pillars. And then the third part is around ourselves, um, I guess our personal leadership. So that's probably where I've seen a little bit of a lack, a lack of, um, yeah, a little bit lacking. So when I say holistic, it's sort of those three, those three key areas. So yeah, so we're like we're. So what does that look like for me? And currently, I'm coaching. Is we had a meeting this morning in our first 10, 15 minutes. We're just checking in with each other, right? Eh? So how are you getting on? And I asked one of the other guys, "Has you know, how's your how's your balance? How are you balancing things at the moment?" He's coaching club as well. He's also pretty busy with work, and then he just has the opportunity to share where he's at, and and then same with one of the other coaches is um, Renee. Cliff Woodman now she's new her wife is Portia Woodman and she's just been away for three weeks so she's been at home with with her with her daughter and just checking in with her you know like just a real just making sure we're all um you know uh, well all, all on board and and that we you know understanding that the things in life that can uh, slow us down a bit so just being aware of it and bringing it to this table as opposed to all right let's get into it <laughs> you know so yeah, that's probably how how it kind of looks from my end. But <clears throat> probably more recently, that's that's kind of works well, I guess, with coaches or people that have more intimate relationships and more time to work with. But I do push out through the Facebook page and stuff like that, and in my blog and things, a balance of on field, off field, you know, personal stuff. And the blog, I read a lot of them, and one that did particularly call out to me because I find myself not doing it is you're talking about like response mode versus leading the day so in the example of the yeah. blog you're talking about you wake up and you check your phone that is the first thing I do because it's the alarm and then oh it's in my hand and while I'm here I might as well check this and also because I'm in the US if I'm trying to talk to people in New Zealand I've justified it of oh well what if someone's you know wanting to talk to me and they're just going to bed so I better get up now like I'm trying to almost like justify why I'm in response mode and I really need to hear your answer on this. So how can people get back on track if they feel like they've slipped into 
response mode of the day versus leading their day. <laughs> That's good. I'm just going to say how nice it is to not talk about game-based coaching approaches and depth of stuff and actually talk about some some personal uh, personal stuff. It's just, um, it's, it's got some nice change for me. So thanks, Grace. Um, yeah, Ori, I'm big on this, say, because this was something I became really aware of when I, so I was an ex-school teacher and I only really got the realization probably the last six to 12 months that when you're, in a, when you're a school teacher, your whole year is pretty much planned out. Um, so I, I started in primary, but ended in secondary. In secondary school, you know, like in October on the second Monday, you're going to be in period one, two, three, you, you know who's going to be in front of you. It's like so structured. And now I'm in a, in a, in a world where I'm totally unstructured. I've got like no routine. Like, like there's, there's a little bit of routine with the volcanic stuff. But essentially, I've got to like drive everything and create almost create a bit of a, a structure so so that became apparent when i went to work at bay penny rugby i sort of found i was getting to about wednesdays and going oh man i need to catch up <laughs> catch up and i don't feel like i've progressed things forward as quick and i was having a fair bit of monday itis so i started becoming pretty aware of that that i would feel like i was wasting time um so then i just started setting up um yeah just just being aware of it but then having some real clear actions and plans around um how my week looks so for example on Sunday night, I have a like a little self-review template. What I have, have six affirmations that I use, some of which have been there for quite a while. Um, and I just sort of rank myself on those affirmations, sort of like little goals, really. Like one to four, four going great. One need a, one need a bit of pull my socks off. And then out of that filters a bit of an action plan for the week. And I put all my stuff out on the on on this. So there's stuff around the business, there's stuff around coaching, there's stuff around uh, contract consultancy work, there's stuff around family connection with kids, my wife, et cetera. And then I just put it in and then I I basically circle the real, or prioritize the real critical stuff. And that's my analogy around eating frogs. So it's not my analogy. It's a guy from Brian Tracy, I think. It's a really good analogy. So if the worst thing you have to do in the day is eat a frog, then the day can only get better. So what I do is then I go, all right, so here's my frogs, one, two, three, or whatever they are. And I start the week there. So I will start the day there. So Monday morning is about winning the week. So do all the hard tasks first, and then, and then, um, and then each day it's in theory. Sometimes I jump, slip off the bandwagon because starting the day with the hardest tasks, and I find that you get even more energy and 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 go from there. So and it's it's structured. So that plan goes into my calendar, and then the calendar drives my week. So I do my do my thinking and problem solving at the start of the week, and then then it's operational mode and just get stuck in and pull your socks up and get stuff done. And then just like a little tips, what you're just saying, like emails are a big one, you know, so the talk about people, what's the first thing you do when you go to work? And they generally say one or two things. I say, I'll go and have a little gas bag with the rest of the staff or, um, and then, you, and then you have a conversation with someone and they talk about something, all of a sudden you're doing their task with them and you're like, half the day's gone. You haven't started at all. The second thing they say is they just open the inbox and start from there. So we're saying, well, then you, you straight away, both those examples, you're in response mode. You're just responding to other people's things. So you have you'd be just disciplined with when you turn your emails on. So if I've got a big, big task to do, I won't to check my emails till I finished it. The phone's a real challenge, eh? Like it's um you get that alert every Sunday or whatever it is, or Monday, how many hours you've been on that on your on your phone. Um can be a bit of an eye opener at times. And you like and you track back what, what you've been using it for, some of which is meaningless scrolling, which is probably a place for like I was someone to chill out on the couch for half an hour at home and check on my LinkedIn messages or my, my business is a lot of it is based around the digital space right so i get messages on my facebook account or linkedin or whatever it is gotta if i keep up with that like once a day but not too bad i don't i don't get too distracted with it all but it is definitely uh yeah it's a definitely a balance eh? so i guess the, guess that's kind of i don't know if that sort of answers your question but that's kind of where it all all started from and just just like we only got so much we only got limited amount of time to do stuff and i think the amount of time you hear people say, I haven't got time for this, I haven't got time for that. But actually when you unpack it, you have, because it's just around, well, we got too much on your plate. I reckon you just get a bigger plate, but, <laughs> and then just try and find a way. I've got, I got this good advice from a guy um, but in business. So I, I chatted to him recently and he said, best advice he ever got was, if you've got too much, <laughs> you've got too much on your plate, just chew like, <laughs> chew, chew like heck. <laughs> or something like that. I don't necessarily think it's the greatest thing, but, 
if we really unpack it, we can probably be way more efficient with our time and get time back and invest, invest with um, your kids, your family, all that kind of stuff, you know? So Yeah, the, it's hard case you said that. On Monday, US Monday, I interviewed Jamie Taup. When I asked a similar question, he said, if I bite off more than I can chew, just chew faster. <laughs> I like, yeah, yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah there, yeah. yeah, there is, like you said, that part about, maybe that's on a Sunday what do you really need to achieve or want to achieve for the week and since reading your blog about response mode versus leading the day like today when I got up I took use my alarm on my watch actually so then I didn't need my phone and then I went for like my run I like to start my day with exercise and I didn't check any of my socials or emails until I was on the way back, but I felt myself wanting to grab my phone. I was like, yeah, I, yeah. I really want to check that. And then I didn't, and it was fine. The world didn't collapse because I waited another <laughs> hour and a half. But um, yeah, my, my day began a little different. So thanks. So I tried that and I'll try again tomorrow. Well, keep us posted. Yeah, I think those are the other ones are those watches, eh? You just mentioned it. So I'm refusing to get one of those watches. So I've got an old old school Casio watch. Everyone gives me grief about it. When my, when this Casio watch um, breaks down, I'm going to get the exact same Casio watch again. <laughs> it just does everything, tells the time, can do stopwatch. The light is okay at night when I wake up, but I don't get vibrating vibrating on my wrist. Though. It's like, it's really good. <laughs> yeah, no. So I was really resistant to it, but this is a Garmin, like not um an iPhone, like not an Apple one. So I don't have it connected to like my phone. So I don't get notifications, but honestly, the GPS is really good for rowing. Uh, you could really accurately, now I run, you can really accurately track it. But I must say I resisted it for like two years and then ended, I think I got it as a gift. And then I was like, oh, this is actually pretty cool. But yeah, the notifications cannot be on there because if they ever accidentally connect, I see myself like, I'm in the middle of something and I look down what just to see someone liked my story, which is great. Um, but I was like, why is this taking me away from what I'm presently doing? So the Casio is a way to go. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. It's it's interesting to say around, yeah, that the alerts, because um that's exactly what happens, eh? Like um you get a message or whatever, and then you your own response mode. So I think it's around compartmentalizing the day and working out. I'm trying to work out how to use social media is just treating it like email pretty much and probably okay at it have like little downtimes or little de detox days and in in parts of the day where I do it but I think it is a, it is a challenge we're all we're, so many times like oh, I want to delete Facebook and all this kind of stuff off my phone but I but I haven't and I'm trying to work out why that is oh maybe I'll miss out on something <laughs> and I'm bloody clever eh those like, social media guys <laughs> <laughs> yep it's it's too integrated like I I leverage it heaps for the podcast whether that's reaching out to people or sharing it and so I, yeah for me I know it's going to be there it's just about setting boundaries and that actually leads to my next question which is with the coaching gig podcast the intersport app you do really utilize like tech uh to connect not just with like coaches, match officials, because I know you do a lot of work there, and athletes. My question is, from your experience and expertise, what are your thoughts on the evolving like impact brought about through social media and technology? Not a little question, but that's why you got it in <laughs> advance. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's probably it's probably a bit of bit of good and bad, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's a funny one. I saw that question come through. I was like, yes, yeah, you know, reflect on where I stand on it all is in one one hand it's great because you get everything you can find stuff so easily so that's why I've pivoted the whole direction of the business that's why I developed an app because what I was finding is that yeah the traditional ways that well how people are digesting um, information now is they google it or now they go on chat GBT and I'm getting quite good at using that now you can find stuff at your fingertips so the days of having to turn up to workshops and turn up to certain things are sort of disappearing. And that's why this um, started the podcast as well. Cause I was doing random stuff on Facebook and people were like, Oh, it'd be way, would it be really good to um, listen to it on the way to work and stuff? I said, okay, we'll, we'll do that then. So the people are digesting information in different ways. So they went built the app because it's designed for, I call them the survivalist coach, which is the, the, the mum or dad who's just put their hand up because no one else will. They're just trying to like survive the season 
they work all day. They rock up to training, go, okay, what am I going to do today? They just, everyone's got a phone on them. I mean, I go to these workshops with coaches out of the hundreds that have hundreds that have turned up. I've got them to get their phone out and download things off it. Only one person didn't have a phone at a workshop. So everyone's got it. And so that's that's exactly what's built for. On one hand, it's it's really good, isn't it? Because you can get information. On the other hand, it can be bad because you can get a whole heap of rubbish out there and it's easy for, to post things up. Oh, I might be one of them, to be fair. So <laughs> I might be one of those guys that putting rubbish stuff up there. But you can get you can connect with people so 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 wide. I guess the the downside of it is it can yeah it can take over. So this that's that's where I'm sort of bad a little bit. I'm using technology to progress things forward and in the space and the business space but at the same time i want people to use it less <laughs> i want people to use their phone less so as an example our family's got a our mum and dad and my brother and sister we got like this little snapchat group right so that's the only people i connect with on snapchat and we send videos and photos on snapchat and um then we got to the point we just recent realized recently that we're hardly talking to each other or texting each other or catching up with each other as much as we we've all decided we hope to and we think maybe Snapchat's the reason because we feel like we know what's happening in each other's lives without having to talk to each other. I, I get wound up with people on their phones all the time. I get really frustrated if I'm at a friend's place and, and friends get their phone out in the middle of a conversation. I find that really, really infuriating. I find um, frustrating when I go to pick up my kids from school and all the parents are sitting waiting for their kids to end up all sitting next to each other on their phones, just scrolling. And I'm like, so I don't, do that i try and start up a conversation <laughs> amazing the, if you just talk to the person next year what you might find out you know like it's it's pretty like yesterday dropped my kid off at kindy there's a dude there tuning his these ukuleles by ear and i was like wow that guy's amazing he's tuning his dad he's tuning his ukuleles i was like he must know what's going on find find out go go yarn to him he's like the bass player for uh kings of zion kings of Z. oh i've just forgotten the name yeah, um, Kings of Zion is one. Kings of Zion, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. in that Drift Away song. Yeah, it, yeah. Sons, Sons of Zion, Sons, Sons of, of Zion. Oh yeah, Kings of Leon, Sons of Zion. Kings of Leon, Sons of Zion, Kiwi band. It, and he's like, full. Anyway, spark. Twenty minutes later, good dude. Imagine, imagine they've had to go and talk to him. So that's a bit of a tangent, but yeah, it's about it's a real balancing thing. Eh? I reckon we're losing our potentially we. People have a strong desire still to connect personally. And I think, yeah, it can be, be a double-edged sword, that whole technology thing. But yeah, what do you reckon? Yeah, I reckon like in some ways it's brilliant because I came over to the States to row when I was 20 and I have all my schoolmates and we are still tight because we can call and we have those chats you talk about, but I'm physically very far away. Um, yes. But that allows that engagement. But to your point because I've got you know my friends that I'm connecting to sometimes I'm not as present in the moment I'm in because mm. if I wasn't on my phone I'd probably be talking to them I actually tried I have been trying this year to be less on my phone because of that screen time that comes up and I got into thriller books because I enjoy reading and thrillers are the sort of book that you have to like you can't put down at least for me that's a genre that I'm like who it's like a whodunit and um I went to like the doctors or something and they came in and I was reading and they you know they take your vitals whatever they leave and they come back <laughs> and I was, I was reading again and the woman was like what are you doing and I was like I'm hooked I'm actually hooked to this book and I wasn't on my phone but I still wasn't talking to anyone but I was like in this book so I I started carrying a book around with me so I'm ever trying to grab my phone I'm like grab the book instead because it's probably better for you <laughs> they might have is that why you're going to the doctor because they thought you had a problem because you're reading <laughs> <laughs> like, are you okay you're reading a book and you're like yeah you should have a phone but oh, I did see I did see this image recently of the underground in London um you know I used to live in the UK for a bit and go in the underground. No one talks to each other, apart from when you first arrive in the UK and you're like, hey, mate, where are you from? And they're like, don't talk to me. Because <laughs> you're like super friendly. Um, anyway, so you learn not to talk to people. So everyone's reading or whatever. And I saw a photo back in the day of everyone on this train, everyone in the train holding newspapers. <laughs> um, everyone in their own little space reading a newspaper and not talking to the person next to them. <laughs> but it was supposed to be on a phone. It was on a, in a newspaper, so... Maybe we are. We haven't moved that far. 
yeah it's just the next thing isn't it that's hard case I was in London recently I did the marathon in April and as we're we're heading up to the start and yeah some people are on their phones or whatever because you wait around at the start for a while and I just got chatting to this woman and she was a Kiwi I've done the marathon too. Yeah, there you go, Grace. The London Marathon, two thousand nine. Um, by one and done. <laughs> oh, there we go. We got something in common there. Yeah. Were you living there when you did it? Yeah, I was living in Cambridge. I I taught there for four and a half years. That's where I met my wife. Actually, left the country with my backpack and my guitar and came home with a pregnant wife. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's the story. My yeah, my parents met in London, so that's a classic love story, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Okay. Oh yeah. Here we go. What are the biggest things you've learned from working with corporate teams as compared to sporting teams? Sidebar. I thought that was really interesting that often I think we think of coaching and coach development as sporting. It's kind of hand in hand, but yeah. What have you learned from those corporate environments compared to the sport environments? Yeah, probably similar type of needs, maybe like I haven't, I've done way more work in sport than I have in corporate, so that's the best thing to say. But yeah, I think I think sport sport people with people involved in sport usually have way more similar. Um, they have similar <laughs> interesting common goals and um, and all that in a work environment. Often it's often far more varied. So I found that quite interesting when you're trying to connect people to a common purpose or a goal. You might not always. It's a little bit. Yeah, the mix sometimes can be a bit more challenging. So. If I'm a person that is really passionate about my work and driving things forward, which are usually people that end up in leadership positions and the people that engage people like me, so they go, we need to get you in to come and fix our fix our people. So they're really on board with it. But then you might have people there that are just really just want to turn up and go nine to five and head home and, and all that stuff. So that could be a bit more challenging. But I think when you really break it down, it's some real similar stuff. People want, they do want a comp vision. They know where things are heading they want to know what their role is. They they want to they want to have clarity on their role. They want to know where they, where they fit in everything. They want to have, they want to feel some belonging. They want to feel part of something. They want to feel connected. I'm doing a session next week with a with a company around this kind of stuff. Around yeah, how we can they can bring a bit more fun and flair to their their, their culture and things like that. But yeah, this probably probably same same but different. And I guess the what how they determine success is normally leading to increased. Um, <laughs> increased sales or that sort of the measure of success as opposed to maybe winning games or things like that but yeah same and different at the same time if that makes sense yeah and now it makes sense and I, a question I sort of had for myself when I was thinking about it is like with sports teams you have training and then you have a game where you can see how that's worked like you have opposition or if it's like rowing running you're racing and you can measure up whereas like in businesses there's no game day every day is an opportunity to your point to make sales or to be more productive or whatever it is so do you think um yeah like is it easier to see the results of good leadership like quicker maybe in a sporting environment so for example the work I've done um in corporate world I haven't spent long periods of time in there so you don't you don't see for example, I just did uh, some training development with a company uh, recently. They're a furniture, or oh, Van Dyke Furnitures. They do, yeah, flooring, um, shop full stuff. They they got me into this training to train the trainers essentially, and I did um, a session. And then two months later, I did the second session, and that was cool because we saw some growth and had some. But otherwise, they often get you in for just like one-offs, and I'm not a fan of one-offs. I don't think they they're that fruitful. I think ongoing is better. Whether and then back to your point around the the results thing, I was actually listening to Grace Prendergast. Is it? Um, yeah. Who's whose bio is awesome? So I was like, oh, I'm getting a bit of self doubt around. <laughs> Why am I following her? Um, anyway, so she's an Olympic gold medalist and pretty cool lady by the sounds of things. She was talking about the difference between team sports and individual sports, and that in rowing she could um, see success and progress quickly because it's probably a really controlled environment where team sports. Um, yeah, like you might have the world's best training and then you just come up against, or you progress this team really well, and you come up against a team that's just totally better than you. <laughs> like so much better. So he's a, I'm also catching my son's under 10 team. We've been like pumped like by a hundred points three weeks in a row. 
And we finally played a team similar ability last week. So we're helping them. We're improving their skills. We're, they're all turning up to training. They're, they're really enjoying it, but they're getting beaten. And then we played another team the other day and lost 79-74. Like the world's biggest. You've never heard of a rugby team score 74 points and lose. But it just they were just both same ability. So results aren't always a good indicator of progress. And it's really, it's really hard. It might be a little bit waffly, but I guess the more the high performance and you're going towards, yeah, progress over time, you might see a shift over a couple of seasons. People want to see a shift immediately. Are we grappling with that with the Volcanics now going, we want to perform well. Volcanics never made a semi-final um, at the top level. We're hoping to change that this year. But it's sort of panning out. We think we're going to have to be brave around some decisions that we're going to make with squad makeup. We have to shift the dollar a bit. Does that mean we're going to take a hit this year and go backwards a bit to, in order to go forward? We're not sure. But um, you know what I mean? That's a lot of, uh, a lot of variables in sport. Um, you can definitely see like progress around connection and you can see progress around leadership and how they train. Team I coached last year, we had a leadership group and they were a lot of first probably month we get the leadership group in and they'd just be spending their time talking about problems with other other players outside of that circle. And I, and I got to the point, it's like, we need to turn the finger around. They eh? need to point the finger in. Coaches need to point the finger in. Players need to point the finger in so that we can grow as leaders. And then once we change that, we, we talked about ourselves, our own performance, our own. We're talking about things that we did well as, as coaches and things that we do differently next week, et cetera. And then we started seeing growth in those leaders, right? So that's that success. Well, yeah, probably. Um, we've seen them interact differently with other players. We've seen them come into those meetings with solutions around their, themselves as leaders. One guy said, oh, I, was, I got frazzled in the warm-up last week. I, I just went into this you know, mind spin. We, we unpacked that the following week. We're down 12 nil after four minutes. I said, what was going on behind the post? I said, actually, we were all really calm and we just took stuck at our roles. And I said, well, that's awesome. That's, that's growth. We could go on to lose that game. We didn't. We won by 50. <laughs> but we played really well that day. But um, we could go on to lose that game. But we'd say, oh, we've actually seen some progress. And with that, the other opposition were just far better. They had more, they had better players, you know, more talented players and all that kind of stuff and more cohesive. I don't know. Yeah, there's a couple of things there, like that last part about what success looks like. Like success when you lose 79-74 is comparative or is subjective, whatever the word is, of for that team, it's the attitude. Like, yeah, success doesn't necessarily mean the scoreboard and same, I imagine, in work environments. Like success might not necessarily mean sales. It probably should. Um, also, that's a bonus. But if the team's maybe collaborating more, being more like outside the box with how they think like there's heaps of other metrics and measurements but I think communication is how you kind of land on what success might look like in a situation but the other thing which I wanted to point out and you were talking about Grace Prendergast what you said though about like oh going after an Olympian that's that whole thing about tall poppy right and it's not necessarily to other people we do it mostly to ourselves in your own words what is tall poppy syndrome and have you experienced it? <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I listened listen to a few podcasts and we could how to answer this. <laughs> it's probably not something I thought about thought about uh, a lot lately, to be honest. Um, then I was sort of unpacking a bit, and I like Zane's um, analogy of the, the analogy of the, the field of poppies and there's someone standing out. I guess it's around bringing bringing down uh, high achievers to get them to your level. Yeah, I guess I was unpacking myself would I probably when I, I'm from like small town Putaradu shout out in the south Waikato I, I was proud to be from there went through all my schooling there and then some in the town got at that point in the late 90s where, where kids were or families were choosing to take their kids out of town to a local private school I can name the school because it, it comes with my story of St Peter's right yeah and there's another school in Hamilton and I probably had tall poppy around ah Bloody rich kids and send them to rich school and and we we ever play ever play them I I really wanted to beat them right like it was out of all of the games like oh we're going to show these rich kids and that was that that was the mentality for for us kids that stayed in the small town uh, fast forward like a few years after that I ended up teaching I then randomly got offered a job at St Peter's and I was like for about th- 
three days. I was like, I can't. I'm selling my soul to that place. Like it's a private school. It gets my you know all that stuff. Still had this sort of tall puppy syndrome. Hanging with people that are more well off, uh, got more money, all that kind of stuff going through my mind. Everyone I talk to say, you're being a dick, Kyle. That's a great opportunity for you. You want to change. You're going to love it, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, I went in and absolutely loved my teaching. <laughs> loved it. Had other, other people. And in that environment, that school, it was the opposite of tall poppy syndrome, man. People were like encouraged to be their best, encouraged to try things, encouraged to take risks. The, the principal at the time, a guy, Steve Robb, just epic man, great leader, could theme, either theme one year around uh, the bucket filling versus bucket dipping. And he shared a story over a couple of terms around the impact of filling people's buckets as opposed to dipping from people's buckets. And that kind of theming was just like massive. And, and, and the whole tone of the school was just really uplifting and supportive. So I had two years here and loved it. It felt like I grew and, and, and then totally squashed my view of people that went to schools like that, right? They just, everyone's just the same, like they just, and then I guess media I've been involved in sporting environments with some or been in and around people that are pretty high profile. They're actually just good people that have just got a special talent and it puts them up on the stage. And and I guess have I been the victim of a little bit? I mean, I'm from a small town. I was a big fish in a big fish in a little pond when I went to Otago University. I freaked out the first week. I said the rang mum and dad said I'm coming home. I think I was overwhelmed. Wasn't wasn't the wasn't the big dog anymore, so to speak, or one of the one of the big dogs was a little puppy. Dad made me stay. It was the best thing he did. He had a good conversation, like that whole sort of anxiety and freaking out. And then it was a probably a theme around giving up and things when things got hard, which I and now hopefully working on the opposite end of the spectrum. So gone out, been brave and courageous into my own business. Um, it's really uncomfortable a lot of the time, but had a couple of moments I've gone, should have I done the right thing? And there's probably people out there. And I know things have got back to me around, uh, what's the word? I think it's people out there that may be looking at me going, oh, I want to do what he's doing. Because I have had things come back to me. Like, for example, Kyle's doing this sort of reasonably innovative stuff in the sports space. That we, I reckon I could do that or try to maybe bring me down a little bit. But very rarely, like most people are really supportive. And, and I think when people know that you're just actually just coming from a place trying to help. Yeah, I found it, found that people have been pretty supportive. But it's been a, little, you know, a couple of times and you get knocked off course a little bit by comment or uh, um, the number of times people said to me, oh, you're not, not going to last in, in sport. You know, <laughs> you know, there's no money in sport and, and all that kind of stuff. But well, I'm almost three years into it now and I'm like, I'm still here. <laughs> I'm still surviving. <laughs> surviving, not, not, not really thriving. I haven't got my bloody mansion yet down at the Marine Parade, but, you know, I'm... I'm pretty happy i've got autonomy and i've got freedom and i reckon i'm actually making a bigger impact than when i was in my past job um, um in helping more people blah 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 so bit of a bit of a long-winded roundabout story there but yeah probably probably had that mindset when i was young probably shifted more recently probably not feeling as threatened by people that are high achievers probably more encouraging encouraging of that it is important eh, to go back to schooling because I'm Cambridge High, so I get what you mean about St. Peter's. When I started rowing, I was coached predominantly from St. Peter's coaches and I was with the girls in the boat and I'm like, oh, well, these people are actually really cool and they work really hard. So, okay, well, maybe they're the exception. And then you realize it's not. And so it sounds like what you've said is the more you actually engage with people and you don't feel threatened by other people's success. And so like good on you the fact that you said you're three years in and there's moments of striving like when you feel like you're being impactful and you can see the impact you're having on athletes and coaches and people um that goes back to what we talked about a eh, with success what does success look like is it a mansion or is it really having yeah, yeah having autonomy and joy and purpose in what you do because I think that latter is probably um that's that's what I think success would be yeah yeah and I don't think like I probably clearly articulate I sat sat in my bloody caravan for about three hours on Anzac day trying to work out what's my what's my why because <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm reading Dave, Dave Galbraith's book at the moment he's a mental skills coach for all black sevens and heaps of other it's one of his things is around this the big uh what's weird unattainable unachievable goal in life what does that look like? And I bumped into another day and I said, I'm really struggling to answer that. I've been sitting on it for months, but he, uh, he gave me some good tips on that. So 
yeah, just to give that um, compass about where we're heading, eh? But the only only thing I can really point out is the thing that get under my skin is then it reinforces it. So I turn up to a I turn up to a training and the coach is being a dick and and treating kids like rubbish um, or getting them to do dumb stuff. Then I'm, then I'm like, ah, my job's not done yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know your job won't be done, um, but that's you keep at it. I want to pivot slightly there's been as you've probably seen as being a coach and coach education etc and just honestly being a part of society we've seen an importance placed on the mental side of sport you think about I forget who said it but the top two inches like with the all blacks that was a big push right Hmm. so the mental side of sport has certainly grown in particular the past decade probably before that but I've only been paying attention for that long could you share any observations you have regarding that sort of shift in the mental health health conversation? I think it's still a work in progress. Uh, the I think maybe young young athletes are probably more aware of the conversation. Not sure our my generation is making the shift as much as them. Maybe yeah, there's definitely definitely on the table. Like lucky enough to spend a day with Black Friends last year and. Um, Shadow Wayne Smith, and he talked about the importance of that. That's that's creeping into the sport and working working alongside lots of those uh, coaches and things like that, and, and people dealing with stuff in their life. Yeah, I'm not I'm not not exactly exactly sure. I know it's on the table, and we and so we're going as a coaching group and, and team. We our theme we're theming the um, campaign around Manaki Tanga. Um, Manaki Tanga was really around um, care, giving back, service. Um, what does mana look like? Um, uplifting people, etc. So we've been trying to walk that with our with our girls, and now we're slowly drip feeding that in, and that just sort of sits really well with my, I guess, what I'll hope the campaign will be be like. That we do live in a better position and all that kind of stuff. But going through that, so what does that look like in real life? Well, I'm catching up with girls next week, one on one, and we'll be asking how things are in life, and because there's all this other stuff, all this back, other baggage in life that that gets in the way. Also, I'm grappling with the whole. Uh, what's the balance around being understanding, you know, like things are happening versus, okay, we just need to like find a solution and move forward and come up with a plan to move forward. And you generally like where the these red flag certain players or certain athletes or certain people, there's generally some themes, eh? There's, well, deeper, there'll be some stuff to their upbringing, but there'll be things like they don't have a lack, lack of purpose outside of, outside of their sport. Um, often their, their job's not that satisfying or they don't have a job or they drift or they, um, yeah, or they, they uh, when they're upset, they, they go to alcohol, which is a depressant, or even worse. Um, so that becomes a normal. They guess just make all these excuses in life to, to just to, you know, to, to go on those tangents. So I, I'm just finding the balance around being understanding and supporting versus like it's time to bloody move forward and actually stop making excuses and, and, and take action. That makes sense. Yeah, I've done a really good met with at the moment, but um, walking that fine line, I'm getting clearer now. We we say them, uh, we we understand because we do come, we actually and the four coaches we've got are all <laughs> probably all too similar like that. We're actually really caring and take the time to get to know players and all that, and in our management group, it's forefront of mind. But we can't have a repetition of behaviour. So once is okay, but we get it. Twice now it's starting to become a pattern. Well, more than twice, you like. And we can't have that in the team environment, if that makes sense. But I'm also grappling with how do we help that person if they're not there. So, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a big big old beast. I'm probably not uh, what's the word, uh, no, not not deep enough into it or uh, an expert enough on what the best way to deal with things are. But that ties into that whole holistic thing, right? Is you want to help them as people, and you see like if we're talking in a sporting environment you see athletes as people beyond just like in that game environment or training environment but then there's a point where you're gonna overburden yourself or it goes beyond those boundaries and I think um yeah both of us are like not quite sure what to say because that's kind of indicative of what the situation is when it comes to the mental health conversation in sports in workplaces is there are support systems albeit sometimes hard to access specifically for that. But yeah, as a coach or as a teacher, 
how do you walk that line of helping but not becoming like too entrenched or too embedded yeah I think that's a I don't have an answer that's just an ongoing conversation yeah I think it's a lot of it is is deep rooted in an upbringing and sense of identity and and that it's really hard to make shifts like that in a short space of time it's like it's like big heavy stuff yeah so it's a bit of a bit of a challenge because it if you really do strip it back we actually are a winning sport we're actually a sports team like we're it's sport and all purpose you know we, we try to get a team out there to play well perform well or a, or a boat or a crew or whatever to perform well so we need to find ways to that's the actual essence and pulse core purpose of what we work together um so i don't really buy into that whole oh the, the we're here to grow better people like we're here to I am and I aren't because we can do that in so many different facets of life. We can go into a working environment and help grow people in that aren't sport related. Or we can go into work with uh, young youth or we can go and work with kids or we can work with teachers or whatever in different contexts. But when we're in a sporting team, number one is like we're here to play sport. And then through that, we will, in order us to get a performance to play well and all that, we actually need to do all this other stuff. Like we need to connect, we need to help you develop and grow. But it's not the number one. It's just like, all intertwined but we're all leaning towards a, a team that's gonna function well you know yeah whether it's winning or losing or whatever but yeah yeah no that makes sense and it feeds and I only have one more actual question and then my fun one that you know about um because you've because <laughs> you've listened but when we're talking about this is probably the most coaching related question I have for you that maybe you've touched upon before with people when we're talking about different approaches needed between like you work with adults and kids, you know, you're under nines, under tens um, or team versus individuals. What are some of the key consistencies? So not differences, but like, what are those similarities present when you're coaching adults and kids? Like I think often we're focusing on maybe what's different between team and individual or adults and kids. I guess the overarching question there is what's those consistent things when you're coaching, no matter what, that are going to be there? It's <laughs> a good question because I get asked this a lot. What have you noticed about the difference between coaching men and women? And I'm like, I hear lots of people talk about differences, but I haven't really been able to articulate it yet. And then I unpack that. Why, why haven't found a major difference? And I think because my approach is always about getting to know the individual. Like I'm, I love connecting with people and I love learning about other people. And, and working out where, what people are up to, where they're from, connections and trying to find connections with people that I'd approach the same thing in any context. And I haven't really probably been aware of that till recently. So I get to the gyms in the morning and I'm just chatting to them and getting to know them. And, and I think, so that probably this essence is the same with any team of just trying to understand the people. And that's the same in any environment, I reckon. So that's where it all starts from for me. Um, so just know who's in front of you, build relationships, connect with people. And then probably the only other thing that I think is consistent throughout it is is just have fun. Like you got to have fun and everything. So we say like, so I'd be, this would be quite refreshing not to go deep into like game based coaching approaches and play based learning because that's sort of my um, bread and butter and my niche, I guess. But this is um, the same and from four year olds up to adults. They love playing games. And they love having fun. They love connecting and laughing. So. <laughs> it's the same the whole way through that's what I find the best part of training is always and you've said that in a lot of your articles is playing games and you do learn skills and that's the job of the coach is to make it relevant but I love doing we call them pieces in rowing where you're just baby races everyone loves racing that's why we do it or everyone loves playing games so I enjoyed that I thought yeah that's that's where you get the most engagement yeah. especially if there's competition someone's next to me I love it. Yeah, you, you rowing crew are a different breed. Like they <laughs> row in New Zealand, um, head of coach development got in touch with me. She said, look, I'm trying to work out how to bring games and fun into rowing. And we we sat there for ages talking about it. And I was like, nah, you're just going to get in the boat and row hard, eh? <laughs> yeah, you can have races, but I don't know how you turn into a game. Like, it's just different. <laughs> just, just get in and pull hard. Yeah. <laughs> that- different ways to have fun. <laughs> I've heard that phrase just pull harder too many times <laughs> let me let me know if you find a different way if you could only have one meal for the rest of your life what's it going to be 
the sense of the whole, is it the taste or the practicality of it? Um, this is a really tough question. Out of all the questions you've asked today, Grace, this is like stumped me, man. This is like, um, I'm probably going to have to go for, can I have, can I have like a, like a little combination of food? Like, so for example, can I have wheat bix with my fruit and yogurt on it? Like as yeah. a combo? Yeah. Okay, sweet. Okay, I'll go for that then. Because I got like a balance there of, you know, decent nutrition, but actually quite tasty. And if I'm ever on a pickle of what, what I'm going to fill a gap within a day, I generally, it's, that can be a go-to, you see. So um, yeah, wheat bix with a bit of fruit. And uh, and I have been doing that same routine since I was like, before I can remember, eh? And our poor kids, they go, can we get Cocoa Pops? Can we get Nutrigrain? I'm like, no, you cannot. You must eat wheat bix. <laughs> wheat bix is good for you. <laughs> now i've been waiting since the beginning to say this next part and you don't know it's coming but as i was like doing more research i was like carl mcclain i know this name and i couldn't figure out how i knew you and then from the depths of my brain i was like he and then i saw that you taught at cambridge east and I went to Cambridge East and my sister Paige <laughs> went to Cambridge East. And then I said, Mum, do you know a Carl McLean? And she's like, Yeah. Her last name Lewis. So who's your sister? Paige Lewis. You taught Paige. Her. I taught I taught Paige. Aha. When you see yeah. your Cambridge, it's like Lewis. I reckon I taught a Lewis. Right. And she said, My mum goes, Yes, he was Paige's favorite teacher in year six. And he's distantly related to you. He plays the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 i remember Paige. she was uh she was awesome she was outside the box but eh? i love she, she sort of saw the word a differently but uh, she was awesome yeah and she was in the she was in the cambridge east production that i um did one of the one of the star roles actually classic she is a performer and that has not changed yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah oh far out that's funny thanks heaps a eh, for sparing the time to talk to me i've really enjoyed it and appreciate everything you have to say no worries. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to Tall Poppy Talk. We'll see you next time. Feel free to check us out on socials, YouTube, and the website. Thanks for today's guest.